Brought to you by the TGEM Network. The podcast you're about to listen to is just about people coming together and sharing experiences and is in no way an advice show. Enjoy. Hey everyone, this is Will, the editor and producer of the show. I just wanted to jump in really quick before the show begins to give you all a quick trigger warning. This episode does have conversations on eating disorders and it has mentions of suicide. If you are not in the headspace to handle either of those topics, I highly recommend coming back to the show later. Thank you for listening. And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Amanda Lambert, a registered health and exercise practitioner, and welcome to Real Talk with Strong Minds. Today, we have the pleasure of having Hannah on the show. And because we actually met in treatment for our eating disorder, that's what we're going to be talking about today what it was like for us to be in treatment and our experience with recovery. So welcome, Hannah. Thank you for having me, I'm so excited. No, I'm like really excited. We've been really wanting to do something like this on the show where we bring someone in that has that lived experience with eating disorders. And I wanted to bring someone on the show so that it wasn't just me really talking about my own recovery. I wanted to get someone that had another perspective and because like we met in treatment yep like living in the same city i'm gonna pass this on to Hannah. i want her (laughs) to almost tell you like how we met and so that you can get a a a better understanding of really how that first interaction went yeah so (laughs) i remember i was in treatment i must have got there like a week or two before you Mm-hmm. And I remember there was kind of words floating around. They're like, another Sioux girl is coming. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I know her. And like, <laughs> it was very like, everyone was like, oh, she's from the Sioux. Like, we don't know any information. And I'm like, oh, okay, top secret. Hush, hush, get it. And you walked in the door and you were so like energetic and happy. And I was like, this girl is like a different level. Like, I want to like, you express so much like happiness all the time but I know you were like struggling and that's what like broke my heart about you because like you literally outwardly just came out like hugging people and like wishing us all well and hoping for the best and like I was literally like this girl is like (laughs) she's like the tears are coming already (laughs) I was like I know she's struggling because we're all in the same boat we're drowning together but she's like smiling and like making us all feel like we're humans who deserve like treatment (laughs) And, like, that was intense because I've never seen someone like that. And, like, I just immediately gravitated towards you because I'm, like, there's no way I can't not be friends with this girl. Like, oh, my. Like, if you could see me, I'm, like, actually tearing up. (laughs) Um, I think for me, when I was sitting, we were outside on, like, the balcony porch. Yeah, I remember that. Where (laughs) we kind of all hung out. And I remember meeting you. And I was really nervous just because I you know, had, I had no idea what to expect in treatment. And I met, you know, Hannah comes out and she's just so bubbly and happy and kind of the same things, you know, like I knew I was struggling because I was in treatment and here this, you know, beautiful girl comes (laughs) in and she's just so like, you know, made me feel really welcomed and kind of, she made me feel not so scared. And when we started talking, 
it was like, you're from the Sioux. Like, yeah. I just still remember that. It was very like, you're joking. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it was because we were in a, like, we're from a small city. And like, to go to a huge city in a random treatment center and meet someone else, I was like, what the actual hell? Like, yeah. how is this even possible? So Hannah and I went to um, London Health Science Center. So we're from Sioux St. Marie, population 75,000. And London, what's the population there? Like three times the size. Yeah. I don't know. And, you know, the thing is, is that we didn't, like Hannah and I didn't have the option to be able to get better in our hometown. And that's what's like still, you know, to this day. So relevant. It's just so scary knowing that there's, there's people just like us struggling, battling for their lives. And there's not a lot of support in in our hometown so we we had to make difficult decisions do we go out of town and get better um leaving you know our friends our family jobs jobs school. I, school yep i left a business um because it was i knew that if i didn't get the help um i wouldn't make it yeah and so it was really difficult decisions for Hannah and I. Um, when you were in London, was that your first treatment center? Well, so as a teenager from around 16 to 18, I was hospitalized in the medical unit. So it wasn't my first experience with treatment because I did treatment there um, for the two years I was in the hospital. But it was my first treatment facility. Mm, like it was okay. the first time I was actually with like people who were experts in eating disorders. Um, but it wasn't my first time like in a treatment environment but yeah it was a lot different from being in the hospital so I, I kind of want to like talk a little bit about that because like hearing Hannah's story just saying that she was as early as 16 um you know battling this disorder and trying to get better like how was that for you and and did you start as young as 16? No, it started probably when I was 14, but it got really bad when I was 16 and I was I so I went to the hospital. I was having heart issues and they were like, "Yeah, we need to fly you out to sick kids like you're about to have a heart attack." And it was this whole like big mess and I begged them not to make me go and they said, "You know, if they could get a hold of the pediatrician, they'll reconsider their options and like what they can do for me." And I remember the pediatrician literally walked in. He looked at me. He said, you're dying. We're taking you out of school. We're taking you away from everything. Like, you will be in the hospital for at least a year. And that was, like, the worst moment of my life. Like, I remember just sitting there and feeling like, my life is over. Like, I felt like I had no future. I was like, he took me out of school, right? And when you're 16, school's kind of like your life. Like, your friends are there. Your future's kind of, like wrapped up in that oh so it's yeah like, I don't I don't have a future anymore and I remember like just scream crying and begging him to let me go home and he just was like he was so cold and he's like nope like you're here now and it was absolutely the worst two years of my life and uh I wouldn't wish that on anyone and yeah it's not it was not a good time but you know um we Hannah and I have very similar stories, but we have very different stories because I remember um, when I was 14, my mom saw signs of something was wrong with Amanda. And, you know, I, I kind of knew what was going on, but I didn't really share that with my mom. And I do recall us going to a nutritionist 
or a dietitian to talk about what was going on with Amanda and her eating habits and mm-hmm. her um, emotional outbursts and things like that. Yeah. And I remember they got me to like fill out a food log and I like lied about everything. Oh, yeah. On it. And then our, our follow ups were very like, oh, this is great. Your paperwork's filled out. And then it was kind of like dismissed. My mom, you know, being Italian background, um, she just didn't really understand. And, and to be honest, you know, fast forward 20 years later, she still has a hard time understanding um, what it's like to be in recovery for an eating disorder. But yeah, I was really young when there was signs, but then it went like basically unnoticed or unrecognized for almost, I'm going to say at least 10 to 12 years. So when I was about 14, 15, there was signs. Um, My mom kind of, you know, did what she could at the time. She thought she was doing the right things. And then it was just totally like 12 years. I um, ended up having like addiction issues. I drank a lot. So because um, I wasn't really understanding what was going on with me, um, I resulted to alcohol. And so for about 12 years um, before I actually was an adult and I was like, I can't live my life like this. I know very well what is going on with me. Like I'm, you know, um, not eating, purging, restricting. And it was like, I knew in that moment when I was 26, 27, that I like, I had goals. Like I knew that I couldn't live like this anymore. So you know, my mom wasn't really able to get me the care that I deserved when I was 15. But as an adult, we have the responsibility to take care of ourselves. Yeah. And I think that that's what happened for me. But because I'm an adult, you know, going and getting the help that I needed, it also affected my relationship with my parents because I was like, I'm so mad. How did you not see what was going on? How did you not help me more? Like, there was like so many like of those emotions that I was like, how am I 26, 27 now having to like deal with this? I wish that I was a lot younger when I, you know, went to treatment. But at the same time, I have a feeling that if I would have went to treatment um, at a younger age, I wouldn't have taken it seriously or I wouldn't have um, done the work that was required required to to stay in recovery I was 29 or 30 I, I was 30 when I went to treatment so it was like a big a big age difference I found um how old were you when you were well in they put me I think I was in London right after the hospital so when I was 18 because they took me out of the pediatric medical wow, unit wow like and then they so young yeah <laughs> and then they immediately just threw me into London But yeah, I remember like even when I was first like diagnosed with it or people started asking me questions about it. I remember a guidance counselor brought me to her office and she's like, I think something's wrong, you know, whatever. And she said the word eating disorder. And I had never heard that before, except for on like Tumblr. And I was like, "Uh, I'm pretty sure that's not real. (laughs) Like I remember being like, that's not a thing. And I was like convinced I didn't have one. I was so convinced. I was like, I don't have an eating disorder. I'm just like, it's almost like this delusional thinking where you think like, I just have so much self-control and I'm so powerful and I can control what I do and what I eat. And, you know, you think you have this control and it's like you literally have no control. Like you have no control over anything. 
And so, like, the people who, like, I see, like, therapists tell me all the time still, they're like, oh, it's a control thing. And I'm like, I know that, but I can still recognize now I had zero control in that time. Oh, yeah. My eating disorder controlled everything, every aspect of everything I did. Like, the friends I hung out with, because, you know, they'd go out for food or they'd go to the movies and I'd be like, I can't go. Like, it was just, it was, it affects everything. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember before I went to the doctors in 2017, I just remember, like, a very, like, vivid example. My sister came into my bedroom and I was, like, on my, I had just eaten and um, at the time, like, anytime I would eat, like, I would just have, like, really um, intrusive thoughts, like, you need to get that out. Um, it was a very uncomfortable feeling. So I remember I was in my bedroom and I was like cleaning my closet, but like, like a friggin' like on my hands and knees, like rummaging through things. And my sister comes in, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have no control of what I'm doing right now. Like it was almost like my body was so uncomfortable having that amount of food in me, which to be honest, it wasn't even a lot. Yeah. And it was like, I needed to like move my body so much so that I didn't feel the feeling yeah. of eating of having food yeah. in my body. Yeah. <laughs> like the like the just the full feeling or the like I've yeah. eaten satisfied. And and to be honest, I still don't like that feeling. I so don't either. I'm in recovery. It's been um four years and I still am mindful of just the amount that I eat. Yeah. Because I know that if I get to a point of feeling too full, there's really loud thoughts that come with that. Yeah. And I am good now where I can like shut those loud thoughts down faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still there. And it's just something that I it's hard even to this day to to experience. It's just a very um uncomfortable experience because basically what happens it's like I eat and then for an hour depending on how full I am um everything that I do if I'm sending an email or if I'm trying to be present with my son there's like a loud voice in the in the back of my head just saying like why'd you eat that much and then like there's just really intrusive thoughts that go with it you know like um your clothes aren't going to fit. Don't you feel more bloated now? I feel, yeah. Like people are looking at my stomach. Um, and so what I always like to, um, educate people is that recovery is great, but there's still work that goes in it. It's not like, Oh, I just woke up one day and the eating disorder is gone. Yeah. No, it's like, no, I, I have to work hard every single day to ensure that when I'm eating, I can get through my day and not have to have so many intrusive thoughts um, because unfortunately our enemy is food and our medicine is food. Yeah. So it's kind of an impossible task. It's, <laughs> but like, it's like, it's like a mound to climb and you're like halfway there and you're like, Oh, this sucks. Yeah. But you got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's just, um, it's challenging, but what's great is, you know, the experience that I had in treatment. It was my very first time going. And to be honest, like having conversations with Hannah, even in treatment and out of treatment, I told myself, you're not going back. 
like you do whatever you need to do while you're in treatment because you're going home and you're not coming back to this. And it wasn't that it was painful to be in treatment. It was just that you have to put your like life on hold. Yeah, it's a lot for three, four months. Like that's a long time to just be focusing on you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and when you literally hate yourself to spend like three or four months just sitting there like being like you know. stuck with yourself. It's like, wow, I wish I wasn't doing this, actually. Well, I'm glad that you said that about, you know, hating yourself, because I kind of want to talk a little bit about, like, what do you think the root cause of your eating disorder is? I think, yeah. honestly, I remember when I remember the day it started. Like, I can pinpoint the minute the thought started turning negative, And that makes me so sick. And like, it was when I was on a walk with my mom and my cousin. And I don't blame either of them because they... They didn't know really. Yeah. And I was like maybe 13. And I was like, oh, I, I want to lose some weight. And my cousin was like, well, switch to Diet Coke instead of regular Coke. And I remember something in my head just immediately was like a light switch. And I was like, I could do so much. Like, I was like, I could cut out this. I could cut out that. I could do this. I could do that. Like, Diet Coke became my best friend, even though it's not that yummy <laughs> anymore <laughs> to me. <laughs> I don't know but like I remember like this is the best thing ever because it's like it's satiating for a little while like it's carbonated so you feel full but you're not full and I was like there's so many things that are like that I could do and I remember slowly slowly changing like everything and it got to a point where it's ridiculous and I remember like someone looked at me and they're like it was so rude it was in high school and someone looked at me they're like you look like a holocaust survivor and I was like, you're just jealous. Like, I remember thinking <laughs> that. And I was like, and now I look back and like, me, yeah, it's way. literally delusional thinking where you're like, oh, I looked so good. And you look back, you're like, oh, I, my face. Okay. That's how I looked yeah. at my happiest. Cause you yeah. think you're so happy in that time. Like, even I look back sometimes and I'm like, oh, I was so happy then. I had so much control. And then I think about it, I'm like, I almost died. <laughs> like, I almost had a heart attack yeah. and like, I don't think I looked peak performance at that time, <laughs> if I'm being honest. <laughs> like, you're not, so funny. Like, I look back, I'm like, yeah, that wasn't my hottest. I'll say that. <laughs> like, really, like, people are calling me a Holocaust survivor. I'm like, that's not great. Thank yeah, you, though. it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Like, when you think that you're like looking like the bee's knees, um, you're really not um but yeah I think for me it like it started when I was younger but what happened for me was I I overate so what so when I was young um there was some trauma that had happened when I was younger and I, I do I believe that you know the root cause of addiction and eating disorder can be trauma and so I had some trauma that I had experienced and I kind of turned to food. It was a comfort. And so it was comforting. Okay, this is going on. I'm going to eat. And then that kind of went into my teens. I was about 13, 14, starting high school. Well, then, you know, I was getting discouraged because boys weren't looking at yeah. me. And then I recall, it's really interesting that you say about the Diet Coke. Because again, I don't point any fingers, but I had a really good friend at the time and 
you know, we wanted to lose some weight. And so she suggested the no carb diet. And at the time I um, drank coffee and I did smoke cigarettes. So again, that suppressed my appetite. And it was a moment in grade 10 where she was like, you don't look well. And I just kind of like did the whole like, you're so jealous of me. (laughs) Like people would literally be like, you look like you're dying. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And I was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> oh, and so I, I remember that. And then because, again, the confusion, I wasn't really understanding what was going on personally. Um, I just drank a lot. But then yeah. I didn't really think that there was a problem because I was that typical high, high school, school, you know, mid popular gal that like, you know, went to parties. And that was just a thing. My parents didn't really think anything of it either because they thought like, yeah, she's just a typical teenager going out oh, yeah. every weekend. But um, the overeating led to addiction with alcohol. And then, you know, I lived a really like unhealthy lifestyle for my whole entire 20s. And then that's when I really noticed there was massive shifts going on with my own mental health. I decided that, um, well, not actually, I didn't decide this. Someone approached me and was like, you should do a show you should do a bodybuilding show, bikini class. And I'm thinking, you know, that distorted thinking, oh my God, someone's approaching me. Like, I look good. Like, let's do this. I decided to go through competing with the show. And at the time I was like, it's, it's really weird. I thought that I had for the first time in my life, full control over this, whatever it was, eating disorder. I didn't really identify it as an eating disorder at the time. I just was like, I have control. Yeah. Like I didn't really know what was really going on through that experience of training for the show. I just really thought I had full control. I was eating the most I ever ate. So I thought that because of me eating so much that I, there was no problem. Yeah. Oh, but there's a lot of problems. And I think that could be another show about the detrimental effects of training for a bodybuilding show. Probably. Like it's just, there's so many things that I can go into, but it was through that experience where I was having a hard time with my body image. I was show ready, stage ready. And then after you compete, you gain some weight. It's normal. That's what happens. But with someone in my situation that was basically not identifying that she had an eating disorder. It was really bad. Yeah. And it was the first time that I ended up kind of admitting something about my eating in, in counseling. And that's when she said eating disorder. And I was like, liar. Really? <laughs> yeah. And then it was really, yeah. From there, it was in the back of my head, you know, like eating disorder. What? Like, what? yeah. And, um, that's when it real. that's when massive shifts started happening for me is when I was like, yeah, something's wrong. I like, I remember when people would bring up eating disorder to me and I'd literally think they were lying. Like I'd literally be like, you're a liar. Like, why are you telling me this? And cause I thought I was so healthy. Like I obviously wasn't, I mean, mm-hmm. diet Coke and cigarettes all day is not peak diet. So I was like, oh, like, I'm so healthy. People are just jealous. And it's like, I don't think anyone's jealous of you, girl. Like, <laughs> you don't look well. You feel unwell. You're passing out at school. They've, yeah. They called the ambulance on me maybe six times in high school oh, for the limited time I was there because I was always in the hospital. 
And so for the limited time I was in high school, <laughs> I was always in the hospital. Like I'd spend half a day at school. They'd have to call an ambulance. Oh, wow. So I'd fall. I'd, I wouldn't have strength to stand up. Like I, that's when I started getting heart palpitations and all that stuff. But like, it was just like, you think you have this like control over yourself and it's like, you are lacking control. That's the issue. And it's just like, it's so confusing. And it's like, you go, you become delusional. Like you literally become Mm -hmm. delusional. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in an offensive way. I mean that in a literal, like you become delusional. Mm -hmm. Like you start thinking things you wouldn't normally think your brain starts doing weird things. And you're like, this is the diet for me. And it's like, even if it's killing you, people like doctors would tell you like you're dying and you're like, well, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, I'd literally be like, what do you know? <laughs> I'm 16. You're only 50 and have like 10,000 years of school under your belt. What do you know? And like, I remember arguing with doctors and being like, I'm fine. Like, and I, I think we were different because of the age. Yeah. Like you recognized it and you're like, can I need help? And, like, I recognized it, and I was like, F everyone. Like, yeah. I'm going to die and in that's why, And that's why, like, when I had mentioned that if I was as young as yeah. you, um, in a sense, like, not that you were getting forced to get the help, but if I was on, you know, if, if I put myself in your shoes, I would almost feel like people were making me get healthy. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I just know that even though I, I have those thoughts of, oh, I wish that I would have gotten the help that, you know, I needed and deserved when I was younger. I don't think I would have been successful. No. And honestly, like treatment, it did point me in the right direction, but it's not what made me better because Mm -hmm. I, I, I was too stubborn. I remember one of the counselors at the center, she sat me down. And she's like, I don't say this often about patients or whatever. And she's like, but I believe you have a chronic eating disorder. And I was like, okay, like, what do you want me to do with that information? <laughs> and <laughs> like, she, I'm here like, yeah. getting the help. You educate Yeah, me. I'm like, okay, anyways. And she's like, yeah, like you, she's like, I don't say this about people, but I think you have a chronic eating disorder. And I was like, explain, like, what is that? And she's like, it's basically where you're like not willing to do treatment. And it broke my heart because I was trying so hard. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have been hospitalized my entire teenage years. I have suffered from this my whole life, pretty much. Like, from what I can remember, I've always had eating issues, but it got bad at, like, 13, 14. So I was so angry. I was like, how dare you tell me I'm not trying? <laughs> like, you asshole. I remember I hated her after that. I was like, oh, I never want to see her again. Because, like... She literally just told me, like, you'll never recover. And I was like. That's unfortunate. Thanks. Like, like you're rude. <laughs> like, you're rude. That's what you are. <laughs> I was so like, angry. How dare you? Yeah, because I, I felt like I was trying and I was doing the work and I had been doing the work for five plus years. I wasted my entire teenage life in hospitals with feeding tubes and, like getting treatment and being told I'm gonna die every day and then like she's over here like yeah you're not gonna recover that's yeah and so I remember feeling just very like distraught after that appointment like I was just like anyways like okay but yeah so what happened so after you left treatment how did you 
um, deal with eating disorder? Like what kind of got you to a, um, a point where you can kind of say I'm in recovery? Honestly, the last three years, the last three years, and I chalk it up to good support. Um, so I, after I left treatment, I think I got worse if I'm being honest, like I had all the skills, but I was so against what she had said to me that instead of being like, I thought I'd be like, oh, I want to get better to prove to her that she's wrong. But instead it put me in such a dark spot that I just got worse. And then I was with a psychologist and I couldn't stand him. (laughs) He literally said I stare at him like a sphinx cat because I don't talk to him. I was like, yeah, I'm never seeing you again. Um, (laughs) And it was so weird. Like, I, not the vibe. So I stopped seeing him. I was in DBT. They Mm -hmm. put me in DBT, but I was, once again, I was refusing it. I was like, I'm never getting better. Like, I hate everyone. Like, everyone could go to hell. And I met a psychiatrist through that. And I started seeing her weekly three years ago and I still to this day see her weekly and she is literally like like when I say she pulled me so hard out of that dark spot like she literally yanked me out of that dark spot because she just cared so much about my well-being and like I've never had a treatment person really be like I want you to get better you know like I genuinely want you to be better And I felt like everyone in the treatment facilities were against me. And I was like, everyone hates me. Like, everyone's against me. And then I met her and she was like, no, like, I'm always going to meet you where you're at. I'm always going to support you. And she's like, like, that's it. Mm -hmm. And like, ever since then, I just felt like comfortable and safe. And when you feel comfortable and safe, like, it's easier to feel safe inside yourself. You know, if your exterior feels safe, your interior can feel safe as well. And it was just like... You need to find support, you know? That's a big thing. And it's hard to find support in a small city. Like, Oh, don't get me started. So I'm going to share a little bit about my, like, perspective. So, you know, as much as Hannah was saying that, you know, she didn't have, like, the best experience in treatment. um, In fact, you know, well, what you just heard, that she really didn't feel like she got the support that she needed. Um, For me... So a year leading up to treatment, I remember going to the doctors in 2017, basically telling them like, this is what I have and I I need to get the support here or else like, I don't know what else is going to like happen. I was actually fearful like of my life because at that time, um, the eating disorder had gotten so bad that uh, my parents had found me passed out at home. Um, they wanted to bring me to the hospital, but because I was affiliated with their hospital, I really didn't. And on the mental health unit, I didn't really want to be a patient. Like it was something where I was like, no, like I actually have to be there tomorrow morning. And so I remember telling my parents, like, um, don't worry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, get the help that I need. It was that moment where they had found me passed out in the hallway that I was like, no, like I'm going to, to deal with this. I don't want this to happen for my parents again. And I made the appointment with the doctor, told her what I had, even though I knew what was going on, um, before I could even, um, decide or think to go to treatment. Um, I had to get a referral to a psychiatrist. 
So that was a seven month wait list. The referrals are yeah. my worst enemy. Even, <laughs> referrals, honestly, like, hey, if you're a Canadian <laughs> in a small town, you know, referrals are your worst enemy. <laughs> and so I literally was like, why do I have to wait this long when I know what I have? So, you know, here I was having to, this was like the beginning of having to really listen. And so I waited and I, you know, in those several months of me waiting just to be told what I already knew, it was a really dark place. And then I met with the psychiatrist who already told me what I needed, who then sent another referral to the eating disorder specialist. And because I don't know why he couldn't just send the referral to treatment. Um, so I, her name was Anna. Yeah. And she's really sweet. And um, the referral went to her and it was about like another six month wait list. It was a really frustrating time when the um, hospital had called telling me, yeah, we have a psychiatrist and you um can come to the appointment just to be told I have to wait another six months. Yeah. So I waited again. You know, I, I believe my higher power truly like helped me because I was like not in a good place. Like I was, um, restricting for days. I had no calorie intake. I was passing out. And then I remember my first, um, therapy session with Anna. Um, she actually was double booked. And so the person that was waiting to see her, she had overheard me saying that it was my first time and I actually knew her and she had come up to me and she's like, Hey Amanda, um, I actually have an appointment with Anna like right now, but I'm going to let you have it. And I literally like, I have like goosebumps. Um, I remember that day because had she, had they said, Oh, actually wait another two months or yeah, something. You, you, uh, we, we messed up. You have to come back. I probably would have, but who knows? Like who knows what would have happened yeah. in that moment? Um, had, you know, someone told me that. So I remember my very first session with Anna and right in the very beginning of, you know, those initial minutes, I just straight up said, I need to go to treatment. Yeah. And she was able to send that referral another referral and it yeah. was about um another i think it was eight months yeah it was the longest I, referral because i remember it took yeah. a while it was eight months until i was able to get to uh to treatment so it was like i'm gonna say it was well over a year from the minute i made the doctor's appointment like i need help to when i actually got help it was probably i'm gonna say Maybe 15 months. Yeah. I remember because we both saw Anna. Um, when I So I started seeing her, I think, when I was 16. Um, when I got hospitalized, I think they just bumped me up to the top of the list. And they're like, yeah, you're going to be seeing her, like, now. And she just, like, no, it was a couple weeks before because it was getting bad. And they recognized that. So they're like, um, we'll let you see this therapist. And I remember I walked into her office and I hated her. <laughs> I did not even want to look at her. I remember she was like getting me to sign papers. I'm like, I'm not signing anything. Like I was just being a total dickhead. And poor Anna. I love her I to bits. I still talk to her sometimes. And like, I yelled at her in a session. I was yeah. like, why are you looking at the clock? And she's like, I just, I'm just checking the time. Oh, I used to scream at, we used to get in screaming fights. Like I, Anna is such a calm person. And she used to tell me, she's like, you push me to my limit sometimes, kid. Like she was just like, like I, I, oh, I felt bad for her. But she, 
Yeah, she started coming in to see me, and or I went in to see her, and then when I got hospitalized, like, a couple weeks later, she would, I remember, I was, like, up all night sobbing, and I was still awake in the morning when she came to see me, and she just, like, grabbed my glasses, and she put them on my face, and she's like, here you go, <laughs> she was so cute, and I was like, oh, thanks. You know, she's so sweet that when I, like, I had an amazing team in London, we had, we put together a discharge plan, Yeah, it was almost like a plan that could not fail. Yeah. Like it was a plan that was going to set someone up for success to be able to uh, be discharged coming back into their hometown and, you know, dealing with this yeah. new recovery life. And Anna was a big part of that in DBT. And I remember coming back to my hometown to be told that I was on a wait list for DBT. And it was my fourth session with Anna. And I remember going into the therapy session and just something felt off and I sat down and, you know, she, you know, therapists aren't supposed to show so much emotion, but she was showing she was, some emotion she's a good gal. and she was like sad. And I just was like, Oh my God, what's about to like be said. And she had to tell me that she could no longer see her adult patients mm. and that she was only able to work with her youth patients. And in that moment, I was so vulnerable that I was maybe a, not even a month home from treatment, um, very vulnerable. I didn't go back to my job. I had to really, really reevaluate my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a woman that I was like really relying on. Because, yeah. you know, like. Uh, well, when needed... you leave treatment, you have the skills, but you don't have the support all the time. Exactly. You need that support. And uh, yeah, she had to tell me and it was just a really challenging um moment where she tried super hard to really align me with um a therapist before she um was no longer able to take me on her caseload and i waited about a month and a half to see um a new therapist yeah and at that point i had found out that anna had a private practice and i had to make a decision i had to put basically like fate into like this uh new therapist's hands who had no um, no background education on eating disorders or do I spend the money, um, and see Anna. And it was just a really difficult situation for me to make that decision where I was like, you know what, I, I have to go with the free healthcare right now. Yeah. And yeah. And so I, you know, I remember, um, not wanting to have to decide, but they both were like, you unfortunately have to make a decision because, having too many people kind of, you know, it dilutes it. Yeah, exactly. So I went with Jamie and you know what, as much as I know that Anna, oh, the like, male therapist. Oh, yeah. I love him. And, and you know what, like Anna's the best, but I am glad that I went with Jamie just because like what Hannah said, I've seen, um, I've seen Jamie now for three years. I go to weekly therapy. He's no longer with the hospital. He does private practice. So, I mean, I eventually ended up having to pay. <laughs> so it was like, man, maybe I'm getting fucked over. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should have went with Anna. I'll, I'll tell that to Jamie next week when I see him. Like, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, I'd, I would have been better, better off. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I believe having that important support system really um goes a long way with someone in recovery and it doesn't even have to be recovery on eating disorders like any type of recovery if you have a solid support team um and that can include anything that you want it's so important yeah i just can't even stress the importance of even like i personally think everyone should have a therapist 
whether it's through free healthcare or paid um, through private practice, but even just talking to someone like even once a month, like I will be honest, I didn't have therapy this week because my own therapist is in training and um, I can even feel it. I can even like attention. I can feel my system just like we need to talk. We need to get this out. We need to really talk about this. Yeah. And so I, I'm really um, on the same side with what Hannah said. Really building yourself up and having that important like support system goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've also learned is that if you have like even family members or friends that don't understand recovery, you don't have to be around them like you're you know you can make decisions and you know even if it is in regards to your own family you don't have to be around those people like you can boundaries yeah yourself and your recovery well yeah that's boundary like i never knew how to set boundaries until i went to treatment and the first boundary i had to uh, set was with my father Mm. and it was like really really hard it was really hard setting boundaries with family almost feels unnatural and it's like, I feel like I shouldn't be doing this when it's like, you should be actually like, actually you really should be. <laughs> oh my God. That's the best. Yeah. I, so I have a question. Like when you, all the times that you did like go to treatment or, you know, like get the help that you needed, was there a long wait list for you? No. Okay. Um, so I saw Anna from 16 to 19. I saw her for a long time. And because she was a, like, I think it was because she was like a designated eating disorder therapist, they kind of listened to her a little more, if that makes sense. So like when, so I had a therapist before Anna, but she wasn't really great. Let's say Mm -hmm. (laughs) she wasn't the best. Okay. And she was like, but she recognized that this was getting out of hand. And she's like, okay, I'm going to refer you to the hospital. And I thought it's going to be like a year. So I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm golden. I don't have to see this for a year. Like, (laughs) so I thought I was in the clear. And then I got a call like the next week. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's happening. Yeah. And so I remember it was from Natalie. You remember her? She was a nurse practitioner for the eating disorder. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and and Natalie's like, hey, you're going to come in and you're going to see me. Because they kind of had to trick me into treatment. They couldn't straight up tell me I was doing treatment or I wouldn't go. Okay. So Natalie's like, I'm just come in and I'm going to check your heart rate. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm like, okay. So I go in and I'm like, she's getting me to sign papers. I'm not reading them because I'm 16. I don't care. I still don't care, honestly. I don't know why I'm lying and saying I was 16. I still wouldn't read them. And she's like, okay, and now we're going to go down the hall and we're going to meet my friend Anna. And I was like, who's Anna? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, she's like, she's going to help you and talk to you and blah, blah, blah. And I walked in. I'm like looking around her office. I'm like, this is a therapist's office. (laughs) Yeah. These (laughs) They tricked me. They got me. (laughs) I was like, damn it. Um, but I remember I sat down and I was miserable and I was shaking because I was always freezing cold. Yeah. And I was miserable. I was shaking. I was like, I'm not signing anything. And I was like, just sign here. You know how to talk. Like, so she's like getting me to sign papers and she grabs a blanket and she wraps it around me and she's like, you look cold. And I was like, huh, maybe she's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe she's not the worst thing. And... Yeah, it just, like, everything moved really quickly, and I think because Anna was always advocating for me, yeah. 
And, like, she she got me into treatment pretty quickly. Like, when she recognized it was kind of out of her hands, um, she got me into treatment. Like, well, first she got me into, like, a weird treatment center in Sudbury where they just, like, talked to you for an entire day. Oh, okay. It's like a day of therapy. Oh, okay. Like, you meet with a nutritionist or a dietitian, one of them. You meet with a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and a therapist, I believe it was. Okay. And you talk to them all day. You literally get, like, a lunch break. And I was like... Where am I? Where did Anna send me? <laughs> and like, she's like, oh, it's my friend. Like, you'll talk to them. And I'm like, your friend, why are you sending me? <laughs> what the hell? And so anyways, I go to Sudbury, come back, and uh, um, I they diagnosed me with something that I don't even have. So I was like, oh, why did I go one there? One of those stories. Yeah. I was like, why did I go there? Like, they diagnosed me with something that like, I clearly did not have Mm -hmm. and so even I I was like 16 I was like googling it I was like it says right there I don't have this like like you can read it I don't have any of these symptoms they diagnosed me with like first of all I think they said I had bulimia when I was anorexic and so I was like did they mess this up they literally okay yeah I was like what they mess up here and so I was so confused because I was like I don't do that and then they said I had like bipolar one or something and I was like I don't have that either. And, like, because I the only emotional outburst I was having was around Anna. And that's when later I was diagnosed with BPD. Mm-hmm. Long story. And We'll bring you back. Yeah. <laughs> long story. Full circle moment. Um, <laughs> but, like, it was just, like, so annoying. And then, like, Anna's like, hey, I, they messed up. Like, you're going to treatment. And she basically, like, she was like, I don't know what to do with you anymore. Like, you're not getting better. If anything, you're getting worse. And she's like, you're going to treatment. And I remember, like, having that conversation with her. I was like, I'm not going. Like, you can't make me go. And she just, like, stared at me. And I was like, no, okay, I'll go. I was kind of scared of her. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll go. Damn. And so, like, I did agree to go after everything. But it was kind of like a bribe type of thing. Like, yeah. if you go, I'll keep seeing you when you get back. And I was like, okay. And then, like, I did not want to be there. And it was a whole mess. It was mm-hmm. a whole situation. I hated it. I was at London twice. I don't know if you knew that. No. So the first time I was there, I left after attempting suicide <laughs> while there. Okay. And because I just, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be in treatment. I thought there was no cure for me. I thought I was one of the ones that just weren't going to make it out. Yeah. And so I was like, why am I even here? Like, I'm wasting time. Like whatever but yeah like it was just it was a show and a half you know what when I was making um the steps to go to treatment I had to often go to the hospital to get like my blood pressure done um like blood work and I remember they were like you're depressed you need to be on medication and I'm like thinking to myself okay well I'm about to go to treatment why don't I go to treatment and see what happens, you know, since I'm going to be going for the eating disorder yeah. and then we can like maybe reevaluate this depression. And they were very like, no, we think that you should go on it before. Um, First of all, we are going to be having a topic about pharmaceutical companies and incentives that um, physicians and psychiatrists get. Yeah. Um, That's a whole different topic, but I was very much like advocating for myself and I was like, no, I do not want to be on medication right now. I want to be able to see 
what this treatment is going to bring like to the table for me. And then we can reevaluate. Like if I'm still massively like depressed or having these episodes, um, then we could see what's going on. And you know, I'm really happy that I decided to really advocate for myself in regards to that because, you know, I went to treatment, listened, did what I needed to do, came back and, you know, yes, there was not a lot of supportive factors put in place for me, but I made it happen. And the depression was really like, it just kind of like, not just, what's the word? Not just disintegrated. I was going to say dissipated. Dissipated? I, don't know, I think it's like the same thing. Um, but it like, you know, I still have some moments where I feel like that, you know, that black cloud, that depressive like moments and, but it's not as heavy and it's not as dark and it's not always there. Whereas before it was because I wasn't addressing what was really going on, the eating disorder, yeah. right? And so... I I mean, should I be on an antidepressant? <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. But I do believe like, I just believe that I was meant to say no at that moment to really understand the full um, experience of treatment. Yeah. And to like learn those tools that we, that we need to be able to sustain recovery. Yeah. Medication is a great like tool, but it's not the overall like you can't just rely on it. You have to rely on your skills, your support system more so than I feel the medication. Yeah. And you know, like that's like a whole like other like topic in itself, but yeah, like I'm definitely not against medication. I just really believe that a lot of times when people are addressing something that they need to address, they're often told, why don't you go on this? And why don't you go on that? And why don't you go on this? And you'll feel better, maybe short term, but like, let's address the real root of the like elephant what... in the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so all in all, like, how has recovery been for you? Um, if I could put it into one word, I'd say freeing, very freeing, because when you're kind of trapped in it, it's you're trapped in it. Like you feel like you have no way out. Like you're just this is your life. And I always felt like I was going to live and die by my eating disorder. And I remember, like, making the conscious decision to, like, step into recovery was, like, so weird for me. Because I had never, if like, you know, I was stubborn. I was like, yeah. I'm not doing treatment. I'm not leaving Anna. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Like, you can't make me. I'm not signing that piece of paper. You can't make <laughs> me do this. Like, literally they'd ask me to do the simplest thing and like do it yourself like (laughs) I was so mean and I think I was just like hurting so bad that I just wanted someone to like genuinely care and genuinely want me to get better because like I didn't love myself enough to like get better for myself right and I know like people are like you have to recover for you and for yourself and I understand that but when you're starting out it's kind of hard when you don't love yourself enough to be like I'm going to completely change my life for myself. It's like, why would I do that? Like, I don't even care if I live or die. So why would I change my entire lifestyle? And so, like, when I started recovering, it was mostly with the psychiatrist. And I started recovering with her because I genuinely felt like she gave a shit. Yeah. And I still do. Like, she, she, like, 
I don't think she realizes how much she has done for me because she's not like an, she's not a therapist, right? She's not an expert in eating disorders. She's a psychiatrist. They, they give you medication, but it just so happened that we got along well, well enough that we could just talk for an hour. And for some reason, like her just genuinely caring about what I'm doing and about how I'm doing and like, she doesn't really know what's going on, but she's trying her best. Yeah. You know, that made me feel like someone cares about me. And if I'm not going to recover for myself in the moment, maybe I'll do it for her. And then, like, eventually it turned into recovering for myself. So it was really, like, weird. Because I felt like, why am I doing this for her? Like, you know, sometimes. And then I'm like... <laughs> and then, like, I was like, I'm doing this for her, but it's going to evolve into me. Mm-hmm. And then, like, eventually it did. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. Like, I, I'm smart enough to figure that out for myself. That's awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I think it, sometimes you can't start with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes yeah. you have to start recovering for other people. Because it's like, if you hate yourself, why would you want to recover for yourself? Yep. You kind of have to grow there. that love for yourself first. Oh, yeah. Like. I know all about not loving yourself. It's just, like, I remember days where I just, like, did not care if I woke up or not. I, like, really didn't care if I, like, got through the the day, to be honest. And um, I just had really bad thoughts about myself. Like, I just had no self-love. And so I think for me... It was my company at first because I, when I went to treatment, I was going in my second year of owning Strong Minds and it certainly wasn't what it is today, but I just knew that I kind of had, I found my calling or I found what I wanted to do with my life. And before those moments, I like didn't have a a vision for my future. And so I think I really did it for my company and then that kind of involved to like yay I want to do it for myself and then it really like led to like me wanting to do it for my son um or my my child at the time I didn't know what I was having because with my recovery I you know they say don't meet anyone or date until you've made it a year in recovery yeah. like the one year rule and I was almost there I almost had reached the one year mark but I had met someone And we had dated for about seven months and then I got pregnant. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was in those moments um, before I actually found out I was pregnant. Like, you know, I, you know, I don't share this too much, but we're on the podcast. And, you know, I was like, I didn't relapse, but I was certainly like, like going backwards with my recovery. And, You know, I was very, it was a very scary moment because I was like almost a year in recovery and I just had massive thoughts about, you know, um, just, you know, going back to my old ways and I was drinking, um, at the time and I, you know, was drinking with my partner and I just knew that I was kind of like not going on the right path that I was supposed to. And then when I found out I was pregnant, I stopped drinking and that's when things kind of got a little better in a way. It was when I um, got pregnant and I stopped drinking and I was full blown into like 
you know, uh, recovery, meaning like I was going to weekly therapy sessions. I was sober. Um, I couldn't, I could have, but I wasn't going to, because I was pregnant. Um, and I just was really learning a lot about my, um, my trauma, my, you know, my, my internal system. And, um, it was being pregnant where I was like, okay, I have a child now that, you know, I need to also do this for, Mm -hmm. I need to like be in recovery for myself, but I really need to like be in recovery for my son. If if I'm not healthy, how am I going to raise a healthy child? Yeah. You know, because I certainly don't want my child to be, uh, you know, spending almost 10 grand a year in therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Therapy's not cheap. Um, but it's worth it. And so I really wanted to break cycles. And so, yes, every day I embrace that I'm in recovery for myself. But, you know, when I look at my little human, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm also doing this for you. Yeah. And to be honest too, like even with my own recovery, like I am now having a way better relationship with alcohol because I'm addressing what needs to be addressed. Yeah. So me and alcohol, we have a healthy relationship now. I can stop. I don't, I can go a day without alcohol. I don't need it. Um, and so, yeah, I always like to share that because, you know, um, I mentioned about concurrent disorders and being sober. And I did stay sober for a full year before going to treatment because that was suggested. And so it was just, that's a big part of, of my story too, was, you know, um, the addiction side of things. So, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. It hasn't been easy, but it's been worth it. I, I do believe that Hannah and I have beat the odds. We live in a very small city that we do not have support for this type of illness. And I do recall like, having that conversation with Anna before, you know, we had to, uh, you know, separate from therapy, but she did say like, Amanda, you're going to like change people's lives. Like you're going to help people with this because I really, I would never want anyone to experience like what I had to experience coming back from treatment. Like treatment was great, but coming home was a really horrible experience. Like I thought coming home, I would have all of the support like there was there was no room for failure with this plan and it was it all fell apart like the first month that I came home and I had to really figure out a plan for myself if I wanted to maintain any kind of recovery so yeah it's it's not I don't know like it's recovery is so strange because I feel like you're in it for so long and I feel like getting to the point where you can look back and be like I did that is wild like looking back at not just like pictures of my body because yes like that changes obviously in recovery you have to accept that and that's that but like I was talking to Anna maybe like last month or something and we're on the phone and she's like you're so calm and I was like what do you mean she's like you just you just told me something that should make you very upset and she's like you're just talking to me and she's like I remember like we were talking about it and I said like yeah I used to lash out at Anna so bad like I used to and like she like it was this weird thing where I'd like lash out at her and then like she'd be wearing a cardigan and I'd like crawl into her sweater because I did not like (laughs) like 
I like it was so oh my gosh it was just one of those things where I was like yeah like I am calm because I'm not in that mindset anymore where it's like like I might die right now so like I'm panicking 24 7 so it was nice having that conversation with her and hearing her just say you're calm was like probably the biggest thing I've heard in recovery for me I was very like on edge I was very like aggressive I was very like angry at the world and bitter and like if anyone did anything I'd snap I'd lose my like immediately Mm -hmm. so to hear her say you're so calm was like oh my god you're kind of right I'm like yeah it was like oh my goodness maybe you're right like, cause it was just, it was weird. Cause I used to, we used to get in fights. Like I remember yeah. just screaming at her and she'd just be sitting there. Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And like, it was just like the, like I would, I could tell she was devastated. Like when I was younger and I just lash out at her and she was like, I don't know what to do. And she'd like beg for psychiatrists to help. And all the psychiatrists were like, put in a referral kind of thing. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, she didn't know what to do. And so to talk to her and have her say that to me, I was like, yeah, I am. Yeah. I'm proud of that. When you had mentioned about, like, bodies changing in recovery, I think for me, um, the first couple of years of recovery were really challenging because I, you know, that the first year wasn't, it, the first year was challenging, but it wasn't challenging regarding my body. It yeah. was learning the tools, having to, challenging. yeah, it was like, oh, like, you know, I can't be around certain people. I can't go to my, back to my old job. The, my, me and my body image, it wasn't that big of um, an issue. It was when I got pregnant going into my second year of recovery. And then that, that's when like, I really kind of recognized like, oh my gosh, like I'm struggling a little bit and I need a little bit extra support because my body changing being pregnant was one thing, but then it was like postpartum. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, this is my body now. Um, and that for me, you know, then going into three years of recovery, I feel like not that, I don't know if this is like victim mine, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> like, I just feel like I didn't have like, like what is like a true recovery experience, right? Like who knows? But I feel like for me, I wasn't able to really experience what recovery it was like because I was so like having to adjust to like my pregnant body, then my postpartum body. Yeah. And now being two years in, you know, having Bex for the first time, like in a very long time, like I can look at myself in the mirror, like, and I'm like, I'm so proud of my body. Like our bodies are so resilient. Like I grew a baby, um, the baby is two now. And like, yeah, there's some things that I'm still like, you know, not like loving, but I, I have a different appreciation for my body. Yeah. I think. And that's what it is. Like, I just very much like, am proud of myself and my body and my mind for being able to go through what we went through yeah. and to really be able to come over, you know, on the other side to be able to talk about this. And like, don't get us wrong. Like, I'm sure like we could talk about our bad days still. Like we have bad days still we have days where we're like is it worth it is like you know is is this all worth it and we still experience you know negative uh thought processes and patterns but what i can say for myself is those thoughts still come 
but I'm now able to identify it quicker and shut it down really quick. And I don't um, have to experience those loud, intrusive thoughts all day long. They still come up, but I'm able to like, okay, shut up, go away. (laughs) And that's like, you know, going into four years now of of recovery, it's still challenging, but it's like, I wouldn't have the things that I have today um, if I was still living that type of lifestyle. Yeah, I, I still like, yeah, like you said, like you saw those days where you're like, you want to throw in the towel. Like, it's like, is this even going to work? Like, is this even, is this a forever thing? Like, that's for me. That's my thought. I'm like, am I going to be in recovery forever? Or am I, should I relapse now? Like, that's what I think. And I'm like, why would I think that? Like, (laughs) that's a terrible thought to have. But like, recognizing it, like you said, and like, being like, um, we're not going to do that, actually. It's kind <laughs> of a big deal. Like, we've, you know, we've put in the, the years to get to where yeah. we are. Let's, let's keep going for another I did my years. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's just like, I don't, I don't want that. It's a lot of work to have an eating disorder. Oh it's my a lot gosh. of work. It's exhausting. It takes so much time. And, all, like, people are like, how? Like, all you do is just not eat or overeat. And it's like, I don't think you understand. Like, eating in today's society, eating is, like, a large portion of what you're doing. Oh, my gosh. And, um, like, it's ridiculous. Like, food yeah. involves, it, it works around work, friends, family, traditions, holidays. Every single day, you're supposed to eat, like, a lot. <laughs> it's like, so every day you're faced with this, like, demon and you're like, oh, not yeah. again. My favorite, like, before we wrap up, like... My favorite um, things that happened before I went to treatment, people would look at me and they would like when they started um, finding out that, you know, I was experiencing an eating disorder and that I was going away. There was comments that people would be like, they'd look me up and down and be like, but you look so good. Oh, my God. And I'm like, do you even know what's going on in my head? Thank you. And because at the time, I mean, there is no specific image on what an eating disorder looks like. First of all, there is no, you know, like, oh, you got to look like a certain way to have an eating disorder. Well, it's a brain disorder, not a body exactly. disorder. And it was because I, you know, was training for that bodybuilding show that people just thought like, you know, because of my appearance that I didn't have one because I, I don't know, had muscles or something. I don't even know what their logic was, but because you were was, still upright, they're like, yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. And it was just so like, what's the word I want to say? Like, it was just validating. So, yes. Invalidating. Like, just because my bones aren't sticking out of my body does not like mean anything because with what you say, like, it's a brain disorder, not a body disorder. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's true. Like, cause it's literally in your head. And people are like, you don't look like you have it. And it's like, well, are you looking at my brain? Like, how can you tell? Like, do you x-ray vision? Like, thank <laughs> you. Like, because people will still, they make comments all the time. People always think they have the right to make a comment about your body. And it's like, that's where I draw a big boundary with people is if they even make one comment that I'm like, I don't like that. I will point it out. Like, yeah. I used to be so like, let people say whatever they want. It shouldn't affect me. Like, I should be stronger, strong enough to handle these comments. Now I'm like. I wish you didn't say that, you know, like yeah. I am in recovery, like that does not feel right. You know, don't say that. I know. And even if it's like a nice comment, even if people are like, oh, like, 
Imagine being in recovery and being nine months pregnant and someone commenting on your body. Oh, I'd lose. Oh, oh, he almost did not make it that day. I'd <laughs> like, lose it. Like, I'd lose it because people like, people will be like, oh, you finally have boobs. That was a big thing. People would tell me. Oh. And I'd literally want to <laughs> swing on them. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, okay. Like, thank you for that. Thank you for noticing that. And it's always like someone creepy. They're like, oh, you finally have boobs, right? I'm like. Anyways. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Called eating again. Like, so like, like I like to make them feel uncomfortable. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I survived like a 10-year eating disorder and then I was in treatment for like five years and like, and then they're always like, oh. Wow, maybe I should have. Maybe I should keep my big fat mouth shut. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe you should. <laughs> Reconsider. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I faced a lot of that when I was like pregnant and because of my hormones and just, you know, being in recovery. I would just swing on people. I just was yeah. like, how dare you comment on my body? And that's when I really started even advocating for myself on social media where I was like, do not comment on any anybody yeah bodies like nobody <laughs> like it shouldn't matter where you're at in recovery but when people like even i notice medical professionals too yes like my family doctor he likes to be like oh you look like you're doing so well and it's like some days i'm not when i go see him and i'm like don't say that like yeah. you can ask like if you ask a question and like you're like oh, how are you doing is a lot better than you look like you're doing so whatever because you don't know just yeah. by looking at them. So it's like, mind your business. I know. <laughs> so I was going to ask if you can give any feedback or suggestions on um, what not to say to um, someone, whether they have an eating disorder or not, what would be some advice that you would give someone? I actually think about this a lot. Like when I have children, what I do with them and what I wouldn't do with them. I personally, I never comment on what someone's eating, even if they're like kind of, you know, when people kind of fish for it, they're like, oh, I'm not eating so much lately, blah, blah, blah. I don't comment. I don't say a single yeah. thing. I don't even respond. Yeah. Like if someone's like, um, I've eaten so much today, I don't say anything. I just keep it quiet because I'm like, I don't know what's going on in their head. Like, I don't want to, you know, because I don't know. You don't know what's going on in someone's head. Right. And so I'm not, so I make it a point. I never comment on what someone's eating, how much they're eating, if their diet has changed, if they're like a vegetarian one day and they're eating meat the next, I'm not like, oh, failure. <laughs> you know, like I don't say anything because yeah. I, it's not my place, first of all. And second of all, I don't know what's going on with them. Yep. I like that. So yeah, not commenting on what people eat, not commenting on people's bodies, please. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think of what else. Like, I really think that the not commenting on people's bodies is just like, I can't stress enough. Yeah. It's just, there's so many other compliments that you can give someone. Yeah. I love your glasses. I, I'm really liking the color of your hair. There's so like, many things. You know, like, yeah, you're intelligent. Yeah, like. <laughs> like that I read something a little while ago I forget what book it was in it said something about like if you can't find something physical that you want to say towards them say something like about their like humor about their yeah whatever you know you don't always it doesn't a compliment doesn't always have to be physical like I remember we even had a treatment board like the thing in treatment yeah a little billboard thing or whatever and it was like 
words that you can use instead of like commenting on someone's physical appearance. Yes, I remember that. And I loved that because I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Like, yeah. yeah, no, I I remember that in treatment. It was like a big kind of board. And yeah. I were we able to like write things yeah. on there too? Yeah. 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 It was really it was a cute idea, actually. If um if someone's listening today that has an eating disorder, what would you say to them? Oh my gosh, I'd say advocate for yourself. That's the biggest one is because like we said, like you need support. This isn't one of those things that you can just kind of let go. Like you need to advocate for yourself, unfortunately. And like it's really like disappointing kind of to have to say that but it's life or death for a lot of people oh yeah and it's like if you're not advocating for yourself sometimes no one will and like it's so important to like say to your doctor or say to your nurse or say to someone like I am suffering and I need help like lay it down for them and be like this is what I need like research what's going on with yourself and like really really like ask for the help you need and don't deny it like I did because you'll be in treatment way longer <laughs> like be what is it be willing not willful yeah so Anna always told me she's like you're so willful I was like yeah, I am <laughs> but now I'm very willing and I'm very like open and I'm very like if someone has something to say about um like my psychiatrist she's like I think we should do this I'm very open about it like I'm yeah. very like okay let's try it let's work on this instead of like shutting it down immediately yeah. like be open towards treatment and yes. be an advocate for yourself I like that I you took literally like the words right out of my mouth I would have said definitely advocate for yourself and you know you know yourself more than anybody so you know you know you know what's going on um inside of you so definitely being that advocacy for yourself and telling the professionals no like this is what's going on because a lot of times professionals will think that they know what's best yeah and to be honest they don't always know what's best yeah they they don't. However, with what um, Hannah said, be willing, not willful. Yeah. So even though they might not always, you know, know what's up, you still need to be willful. Willing. 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 Don't be willful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I another thing that I would even recommend is just really evaluate who you hang out with. Yeah. Like, and if there's young listeners listening, that is huge. Like, to be honest, I love being an adult because I can pick and choose my friends. Yeah. Oh, you suck my energy too much? Bye. You bring me down? Bye. When I was 15, 16, 17, you know, those friends that you have, they're like your family, your life. You know, you don't really want to that up because, you know, that's your social. That's kind of what you have. Yes. And... And I do believe that even my choice of friend groups, you know, there was lots of contributing factors on why this eating disorder even existed. But, you know, I do believe that um, had I had a better friend group, <laughs> yeah, that was like way more supportive and just you know? less toxic and like yeah. hated and loved themselves a little more and hated themselves a little less. Like yeah. maybe we wouldn't all be here. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, so, guys. <laughs> So I just want to say thank you so much, Hannah, for being here today. Like you've warmed my heart once again. And this was a really important topic that I really wanted to bring to the table. And you were the first person that I really Aww. thought of just because of how we really met. It's just such a, a wonderful story, you know, like maybe we didn't think of it back then. But, you know, fast forward almost five years later, 
it's so amazing to even see how far you've come. Like, you know, I, I met Hannah when she was at her sickest and vice versa. She met me when I was at my absolute like sickest. And it's just really nice to see like where we are today. I know. And, like, I am so proud of us. It's crazy. Like we're, we made it. <laughs> yeah, we made it. Like we, we beat the odds. And honestly, if there's anyone out there listening that is in the depths of their eating disorder, you are literally listening to two girls who almost died from this battle. Yeah. And we, like, I have goosebumps right now. I, we overcame it. And to be honest, like, if we can do it, oh, anybody can yeah. do it. Like, I was told I would not make it. Like, yeah. the amount of times practitioners have looked at me and been like, yeah, you're going to die. And now I'm here. And I'm like, didn't die. Hello. Thank and you. And look at what. <laughs> like, look at us now. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, you're going to have to come back because we can talk about so many topics. I feel like we have so many things to talk about. <laughs> I know. Well, that's our episode for today. And we really hope that you come back to listen to our next episode. Bye.